if everyone will stand, we're going to do Bless His Holy Name for our call to worship. this morning as we gather in your house and in your presence, that would be our desire today, to bless your holy name. As much as we ask you to bless us when we come in this place, Lord, redirect our focus today. May we be a blessing to you as we gather in worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Good morning. Good morning. You may be seated. I will go ahead and apologize now. Uh, my allergies have been flared up these last few weeks, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. Um, but and I've got a cup of water ready and, and to go up here, so if I was to need it, just look over me today. But I am sure we'll make it through. So I'm not the only one this time of year I know who's fighting some allergies. So if you'll overlook that, I'd appreciate it. Um, I have just a few announcements I'd like to make this morning before we get going too much, but I'm not going to talk very much now so I can save what voice I have for later. So, um, Notice in your bulletin, please, our churchwide fellowship. The first one we've been able to have in over a year, really, is coming up in just a few weeks, Sunday, June 5th at 5 p.m. 
The church is purchasing the meat, the hamburgers and the hot dogs. Uh, we're asking all of us to pitch in by bringing buns, drinks, side items. And uh, again, we're going to put up the volleyball net and, and have some folding chairs and just have some time together, which we've not been able to have in quite some time. So if you're not ready to do that, we certainly respect it. But if you feel comfortable doing that, uh, then please be ready to join us. VBS will be here sooner than you realize. Granted, it's a little ways away, still a couple of months. Time for us to, to pray and plan. Uh, but at this point, uh, Miss Joan is taking up our, our order for t-shirts. And so the sign-up sheet is right here in the front. If you would like to get your name and size down or your children or whatever for t-shirts for VBS, then it is in the front. Also, our sign-up sheet for classes and responsibilities is in the back. Uh, and again, this year, uh, coming out of this pandemic and all of that, uh, using this as an opportunity to kick back some, kick some things back off in the fall. Uh, hope that everyone will commit and, and, and give us a few days there. Remember, we're going Sunday through Wednesday this year because of circumstances. And so I'm excited. I hope you are too. It'll be here before you know it. Uh, the other thing is um, at the bottom of that, I was going to let you read it, but I want to mention it because notice that we're talking now about back-to-school ministry. And I know you're thinking, wait a minute, back-to-school? We're just about to get out of school. Um, but I, I, it's so good for us to be able to think now. If we can start throughout the summer picking up a few items here and there, then we'll be more prepared to give uh, when the time comes back now, you know, down into July and August. And so if you'll please make note of that, and if you could pitch in, that would be great. One last thing, uh, Ms. Flea gave me a... Um, uh, short uh, list this morning. So if you're pitching in for the food pantry, there are a few items that we're in need of. If you want to jot these down real quick, uh, we need peanut butter again, which is always a great need whenever you have a food pantry. Graham crackers, snack items, and spam, which amazes me because I just asked for spam not long ago. And so Tim and I have decided this morning we must be some spam eating fools up on this mountain because... <laughs> Uh, we, we, we need spam every time we have a grocery list for this thing. So if you're buying your spam, pick up a few extra cans. So peanut butter, graham crackers, snacks, and spam. Those are our needed items. And I know for a fact that it has been used. I'm, I, I've missed something. There's no telling. Um, I said, Tim and Ben are probably the ones getting the spam. Yeah. Yeah. You may not be far off. No. Uh, uh, although I'm going for the graham crackers too, so you know you never know. Um, but I'll, I'll say this: um, I know for a fact recently uh, that it has been used. We had an opportunity this week um, to help out someone in the community, and that was a, a definitely a resource that we could refer them to. Uh, I can tell you that the Lord is using it, and so I appreciate your generosity. Are there any other announcements that need to be made? I had something to our senior ladies are planning a fall jubilee trip this year. Mature, excuse me. It says for mature and senior adults, Joni. But uh, it is going to be a music jubilee and also some comedians. Uh, it will be in Gatlinburg September the 27th through the 29th, so which will be a Monday, Tuesday, and come home on Wednesday. So any of you ladies that would like to participate or go with us, please try to let me or Joan one know by Wednesday this week if you can. So we know exactly how many rooms we need to get reserved. Um, right now, I think we have six. I know that is committed to go. So uh, we'd love to have a few more of you ladies go with us. So see me or join me the one after service today or get in touch with us by Wednesday, okay? And that's a good group. I, when you said six, I was like, wow, y'all would have a good time. So that's good. Anything else? 
Well, if not, let's continue to worship the Lord in song. And now we will do all four verses of I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. of the Lily of the Valley.
Well, if you will take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18. The scripture reference is there in your bulletin for you, Luke chapter 18. And when you get there, be finding verse 35. Uh, This morning, I'm going to begin our summer, uh, and I know it's a little bit early maybe for you, but we're getting there, our summer series. And we're going to be in this to the rest of the summer as we look at some of the questions in the Gospels that Jesus asked. Have you ever noticed as you've journeyed through the Gospels that the Lord does ask some interesting questions? Some of those leave you frozen. Some of those leave you thinking deeper. Some of those leave you looking deep inside. But he asks some neat questions. And this summer, I would like for us to explore some of those, okay? I want to get us off to a friendly start with one that's really easy for us to access today. And then we'll dive a little deeper from here. But we're going to explore some of those questions. You know, as a teacher, i got to tell you, I have gained a lot of appreciation over the years for good questions. And I tell my students all the time, you know, questions get answers. You ever notice that? You don't get an answer sometimes because you don't ask your question. Questions get answers. Uh, I have to kind of train my students each year. I'm stubborn about this. I've learned over the years. And you may think, oh, no. But I am. I'm stubborn about this. You know, you'll have early in the school year, you start those activities and never fails. Here goes a hand up and I'll go walk over. Yeah, what's your question? I don't get it. That's the student response. Anybody ever deal with kids? I don't get it. Okay. And here's mine. That's not a question. Ask me a question. You will get an answer. Now, why am I doing that? Am I trying to be a smart aleck? No. I want that student to think through whatever it is I have assigned him or her and ask a thoughtful question that may already sort of give them the answer before they even get the question out. Because a lot of times, as soon as I say, okay, begin, boom. They haven't read the paper yet. But I already don't get it. Which translates to, I need you to give me the answer. Right? Have we ever done that in life? All of us, right, at times. Lord, I don't get it. Translation, Lord, I need you to get me out of this. Okay? Lord, I need you to give me the answer. When the process of searching is where the answer comes from. What we're going to find is that as Jesus asks and answers these questions in all these interchanges in the gospel, we find snapshots of ourselves, questions we may have or have had or will have in life, and it's so very important. Jesus was a master teacher. Amen? I'll tell you this, as a teacher, we get training every single year on how to question our students. Now, that may sound silly to you, and sometimes it is, um, but we get questions every, or we get training every single year on how to be more intentional in questioning so that we can help a student discover for himself. Don't give him the answer. Let him find it. Don't give her the answer. Let her seek it out. And you know what? Jesus was that master teacher. Nobody had to train him how to teach anybody. His questions oh my goodness, will drive a wedge into your soul. And you know what? We're better off when it happens. Because the process of discovering that answer with Jesus is an amazing thing. And so we begin this morning with a simple story 
in Luke chapter 18, 18, excuse me, verses 35 through 43. Many of you will be familiar with this story. The question that we're going to be asked today is right in the middle of it. What do you want me to do for you? Now, before we even read the story, in the privacy of your own heart, is there anything that you're asking Jesus today to do for you? Think about it. If the Lord were to ask you that question, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer it? Not out loud, but in the privacy of your heart. How would you answer it? Okay? Well, today we're going to get a story where that question is asked, and we're going to try to put ourselves in this situation and in six steps work through how we might answer it. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road, begging. Now, hearing a crowd going by, he began to inquire what this was. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he called out, saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet. But he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded that he be brought to him. And when he came near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. Immediately. He regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. It's a neat story, an amazing story. There are different accounts of it in the Gospels, but this is a snapshot into how Jesus questioned and some of the things we might glean from it in our own lives, okay? Let me say this. Did Jesus already know the answer to the question when he asked it? What do you think? Did he know what the man wanted? Let's be really, really honest. In this particular case, if we are moving along and a blind man is begging by the side of the road, is there a pretty good chance we're going to know what he would ask his miracle for? Probably so. Jesus, knowing all things, would know even better than us. So why then ask the question? Well, we are told in Scripture, your Father knows what you need even before you ask. So why need to ask? Because with him, it is always about discovering things in the context context of relationship. Why is it you make your kids ask for things that you're already planning to give them? Because it's about relationship, right? You're training that, that child. The same thing is true for Jesus. There are six steps as we work through this story and how this question and this answer comes out. i got to tell you, I can identify with all six steps. And I bet you can too. Step number one, humbly confess your need. Let's go back as we started in verse 35. As Jesus was approaching Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. He hears a crowd is going by, and so he hears the hustle and the bustle and the commotion, and he speaks up and he says, hey, can somebody tell me what in the world is going on? 
He can't see it for himself, but he feels it. He, he hears it. He knows it's there. He's disturbed by what is happening. And so in verse 37, they tell him, hey, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And so immediately on instinct, he begins to shout, Jesus, son of David, have what? Mercy on me. Now, we're going to unearth a little more in this, but I do want you to see that the essence of the man's cry is for mercy. Now, what is mercy? It's a cousin of grace, right, as far as biblical terms go. Grace being God's unmerited favor, mercy being God's patience with us, him not giving us what we deserve. In society's eyes, what did that beggar by the side of the road deserve in society's eyes? Well, we know, don't we? Because what's he doing? Begging by the side of the road. If society saw him as worth much of anything, he would not have been begging by the side of the road. If society was out for him, to help him, to alleviate his misery, to put him up, to care for him, to minister to him, if society was after that, he would not have been sitting by the side of the road begging, right? Society judged him. Society let him sit there. If his need was met, he would have moved on. But instead, he is crying out for mercy. I think sometimes when God asks this kind of a question to us, what do you want me to do for you? I think sometimes if I'm honest, my request comes out more like a demand. If I'm being really, really honest with you. Anybody else? Especially when I'm hurting, I'm tired, I'm confused, I'm in need. Can that request of God come out more like an insistence? Anybody else besides me? Oh, I see it all the time. All right, can I go back to my classroom a minute? And I promise not to overload you with this today, but man, this has come up all week long in, in, in my heart and life because of what I do. That child that says, I don't get it. And I don't answer the question. Well, what's your question? All I want them to say is, I don't understand how many groups of that, because I teach math, how many groups of that go into that. Okay, now I'm on it. I know what you're asking. Now you're thinking. I'm answering that question. Uh, can you please tell me what formula I should use to solve this? Now you've asked a question. You're getting an answer, okay? But guess what happens sometimes? I don't get it. Well, what question did you want to ask? I don't get it. That's not a question. I need you to give me the answer. I mean, some students are just honest with you. I need you to tell me what to do. And it doesn't come across as a request. They're not asking for mercy. That student feels like he's entitled for me to tell him the answer. I hate to tell you this, but we are a little more entitled than we used to be at times. Look at our society. What are you due? What are you owed? What are you entitled to? You know what I would say to that student, as patiently as I could, you are entitled to learn. And if I give you everything, you're not learning. Your greatest entitlement as a student is the privilege to grow. But if I do it all for you, you're not going to grow. 
The same thing could be said to my children. I can't do everything for them. They won't grow. Right? Same is true for me. This man is here, and he's crying out for mercy. The difference is this. What this man needs, he can't do for himself. This need, he can't meet. And there's a very good chance, we're not told this, but there's a very good chance that others maybe at one point in time tried to help him meet the deed. Maybe when his sight began to go, maybe there were doctors, maybe he went to faith healers. We know that, thing ha- we know that stuff happened a lot in Israel at this time. Maybe people prayed over him. Maybe others gave him advice. Maybe somebody offered a home remedy. But here the man sits blind. And we know there's history because remember what he says to Jesus? I want to regain my sight. There's history here. Okay? Now we're not privy to all of it, but there's history there. He doesn't come to Jesus with a demand. He doesn't come to Jesus with insistence. He comes to Jesus and he says, have mercy on me. Can I tell you, church, when we go to God with a need, the best place sometimes we can be is seated by the side of the road, hands outstretched. God, I have nothing to give. I'm asking you to have mercy. Amen? The worst thing I can do is go to God sometimes and say, well, God, I've got most of this, but I need you to help a little bit. God, I think I can handle most of it, but could you do this? God, I'm good with this, but could you kick in over here? When the truth is, I probably don't have much of a hold on it at all. The best thing I can do is fling myself on the mercy of Almighty God. If you think about what Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, you have this reference on your notes there. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. What was that word? Requests. Could he demand that Jesus meet his need? He could have. Does that mean Jesus has to? Did Jesus owe him anything? Does he owe me anything? Does he owe you anything? We take our requests. We ask for mercy. We pray that he will meet our need. Notice that when he asks this question, it is all coming out of this man's heart that says, I can't do this for myself, Jesus. I need your help. I need you to do this. He's in a good place asking Jesus that way. Number two, ask persistently. I love this part of the story. Absolutely love it. When this man cries out, how did the people who were escorting Jesus along, keep in mind, this is the twelve. This is some of the broader band of disciples that are traveling with him. They're moving along. They're kind of escorting Jesus, if you will. Forgive me if, for, for a modern-day analogy, but it's kind of like his entourage is coming through, right? Okay? His handlers, if you will. They're moving through the crowds, clearing a little bit of the way, because whenever Jesus would pass through the countryside, there was all kind of hubbub 
okay? And I mean, the crowds would swell in an instant, and Jesus couldn't even move along. He couldn't accomplish what he was trying to do. And so they kind of cleared the way and, and brushed folks aside so Jesus could make his way through the countryside, okay? So here goes the people. They go through. This man starts shouting, appealing to Jesus. How do they respond? What did it say? Do what? Be quiet. Be quiet. And by the way, was that a quiet request? Hey, would you please keep it down? What did it say? They sternly told him to be quiet. I love this. Yeah. We have a man sitting by the road begging, crying out for mercy. And the people of God's response is to sternly tell him to leave Jesus alone. Anybody besides me see an issue here? What would you say to, to how, what would be your response if I said, man, so suppose you miss last Sunday service and I came in this morning and I told you, man, you wouldn't have believed what happened last Sunday. Man, during service, we had people crying out to God for mercy. What would you say to that? Amen, right? So let it be. But that's not how we responded here. Hush. Keep quiet. The man is busy. He's making his way to his destiny. You can't disturb him. He doesn't have time for you. That's the idea. Much as they did the children, remember? Jesus doesn't have time for you. And how did Jesus respond to the children? Send them on. How does Jesus respond to the man? We'll cover that in a minute. Let him come to me. But notice here, this man, if he was not persistent, would not have been heard. Look at what happens next. Verse 39. This is right where we left off. Those who led the way were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying. And in fact, he cried out all the more. I mean, now he's raising Cain. Shouting, I, I imagine. Doing anything he could do. Kicking his feet, wailing his hands. I don't know, kicking up the dirty dust in the street. I don't know. But he is going to make sure if Jesus is passing by, I am going to get his attention. You know, the Bible does tell us to ask persistently, doesn't it? It does. To keep on keeping on. What's that old saying in life? Persistence pays off. It does. I think of an interesting story. You had this reference, Luke chapter 11, just a few chapters back. I think this is hilarious, I'll be honest. I've always thought this was a hilarious story. Verses 5 through 10. And by the way, if you'll notice right before here, in the first four verses of Luke 11, Jesus is teaching them about prayer, about how to approach God. And then he gives this little story to illustrate how we ought to ask God for something. He said to them, suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, friend, lend me three loaves. A friend of mine has come to me from a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside, he answers and says, oh, don't bother me. The door is shut. My children are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. By the way, I love the way we use the word can't. What's the other word? I won't get up and give you anything. 
And then Jesus says this, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he's his friend, but because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. And then notice what follows. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. Could you picture the man... Now, keep in mind, this is very first century stuff. They don't have their privacy fence. Chances are Dobermans are locked, not locked inside. He's walking right up to the door. Hey, hey, buddy. Hey, stir up in there. I know it's late. I'm sorry to bother you. Oh, what do you want? My now he's moved over to the window. <laughs> and this guy's not getting up. He's in bed. And, and I don't blame him. He's tired. His kids are in bed. Shh, don't wake up the baby. Shh, right? Now he's his friend. You mean he's not going to hop up and go get a couple of loaves out of the cabinet and give to his friend? No, he's tired, right? And Jesus says, well, if he won't answer him because he's his friend, if he keeps knocking long enough, I promise he'll get up and give him the whole pantry. Go away. Let me go back to sleep. I think that's a hilarious story. What's the moral of the story? Keep asking. Be persistent. If it really means something to you, let God know. Amen? Let him know. Be honest with him about it. Ask persistently. Number three, trust God's heart. I think sometimes we ask the first time when it doesn't immediately happen or it doesn't happen like we want it to or thought it should, we quit. We move on. We think God doesn't care. And even worse, we may pitch a fit about it. Oh, I'm sorry, just me. Anybody else? Okay. We do that, right? Well, what if this man had just not been persistent? Why do you think he cried out again? I think the way he cried out is a hint. Jesus, son of David. There's some insight this man has. He's heard of Jesus. There's some belief stirring in his heart. And because of that faith, he persisted and he trusted he would answer. Notice what Jesus does here. And Jesus, what? Stopped. Now, if you were to do just quick flipping around just a few minutes and, and, and you were to flip back a few chapters and, and begin to look, you would realize that at this point in Jesus' life and ministry, he is very much set to Jerusalem. He is very much on his way to his destiny on the cross. Jesus is, is kind of getting things in order, accomplishing what needed to be done. He is focused. We've already seen in Luke, his followers are starting to sense it. Man, something's changed in Jesus. His eyes are set to his calling. He's busy. He's got things to do. I mean, literally, eternity is, the weight is setting in on Jesus, okay? And still, I love it. Jesus stopped. And not, did he, not only did he stop, he commanded. Now, I don't want to read too much into this. Command can sometimes just mean insisted. But he insisted that they bring the man to him. 
okay? And so when he came near, he questioned him, what do you want me to do for you? He is trusting that Jesus cares. And when we ask, we too must trust that he cares. Amen? I think sometimes the way we ask or don't ask may reveal to us some of our underlying beliefs and assumptions about God's feelings toward us. I want to tell you something. He loves you. And he cares. So much so that he wants you to ask. Jesus stopped. I've had those times in my life when I've got something going on. I've got a worry. I've got a hurt. I've got a need. It might even be something minor, but it means something to me. And I can think of times when I'm in prayer and then I'll flip on the news and there's a war going on. I've got my need and and then here's people dying in a famine. I've got my need and there is a natural disaster. I've got my need and there's this wildfire consuming the countryside. I've got my need and all this. And I think to myself, does he really have time? This just seems so petty. You ever go through stuff like that? Maybe I'm overthinking it, but I do. And for me, Jesus stops. And he does the same for you. Say amen. Amen. I want you to know that no matter what's going on, the Lord loves you and will always have time for you. He will stop and he will command that you be brought near because he loves you every much as he loved him. Amen. We see something of God's heart here. Though the ages are literally, and I'm not exaggerating, everything is now coming down on Jesus in these few last days and weeks. But he will still make time for those of us that call out to him. And that is a precious thing. Number four, don't be afraid to ask big. I don't know if you're ever like this, but sometimes I can feel like my big is so petty to the Lord. Sometimes I feel like I couldn't possibly ask him for that. You ever go through stuff like this? Don't be afraid to ask big. How many times in the Bible, think all those Old Testament stories, how many times did he have to tell people, I want you to ask? Ask. What do you really want? Dream big, right? Not selfish, okay? Not worldly, but dream big. Don't be afraid to ask big. I'm going to tell you, I think this man, this is a big ask. Does anybody else agree? Oh, I just want you to miraculously give me my sight back. That's all I'm asking. That's asking big. Would you agree? Nobody else could do it. And yet that is exactly what the man does. All right, what do you want me to do for you? Verse 41, and he said, Lord, I want to regain my sight. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't apologize for asking. He didn't water it down. Lord, I don't want to be blind. Lord, I want to regain my sight. I want to see you during this conversation. By the way, could you imagine when he regains his sight and there stands Jesus? Woo-wee. I want to regain my sight. I don't know what your ask is today. But I can tell you this. Covering it up 
watering it down, acting like God doesn't care, minimizing the hurt, the pain, the confusion, the question, that won't help things. If there's something there, ask. Amen? Ask. Jesus has already kind of got at this for us. I mean, the, the passage in Luke 11 gets right to it. I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, it will be opened. And you think of what this reveals about the Lord. He goes on. Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. <laughs> He's not going to give him a snake instead, is he? If he is asked for an egg, he's not going to give him a scorpion, right? Well, if you then, being evil at heart, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The idea is we know how to give good gifts. He knows how to give better. Ask. Trust God's heart and don't be afraid to ask big. But we also have to be ready for number five. Accept God's answer. Now, the answer here is wonderful. It's miraculous. It's a hallelujah story. And so I want to see it. But I also want to caution, are they all hallelujah stories? Does everything end in the big ask being granted? Not even in the Bible. Okay? So I want to be careful here, but I want us to see it and share in it and then also have a teaching moment there. So Jesus said to him, receive your sight. He asks, what do you want me to do? I want to regain my sight. Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. This man exercised his faith in Jesus. He asked big and lo and behold, his ask was granted. Praise the Lord. Love to see it. How many of you rejoice when the big ask is received? And not just for you, but for those around you. When that person is sick and prays for healing, and lo and behold, it's gone. I don't know about you, I praise the Lord for that. When that person loses and it's restored, praise the Lord for that. When that person is alone, and here comes that someone, praise the Lord for that. We, we, we rejoice in all of that. Those are those hallelujah moments. And I pray that in your big ask, it ends up the same way. But we also have to be prepared to accept God's answer if the big ask isn't returned the way we thought it would be. Okay? We still have to be like the three Hebrew boys. Even if not, we will not bow down. We will still follow him. What if you're Paul and you have whatever physical ailment he had, no one knows, and you plead with the Lord with the best of intentions? And by the way, what was Paul pleading for? This is a hindrance to me. It is a limitation of my ministry. I could be more effective for the kingdom if you'd take this away. It wasn't a selfish request. 
Which, by the way, it's not selfish to say, God, I'm in pain. Help me. God, I'm hurting. Help me. God, I'm alone. Help me. God, I'm broke. Help me. It's not wrong to tell him that and ask. It's true. It's opening up our heart. It's being honest and transparent. When 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you have this reference on your notes, verses 7 through 10, Paul says, because of all that God was doing in him, in order to keep him humble, there was this thorn in his flesh. Now, you can imagine a thorn in your flesh, right? Matter of fact, this was a, something I actually went through a few weeks ago, trimming the rose bushes. I, nothing, I mean, right up under my fingernail. and it, Little bitty piece. Nothing. Like, I'll come in there in the house like, all right, Angel, you got to help me out. Oh, my goodness, you got to help me. And she's like, really? I can't even see it. It hurts. You got to help me out. Get the needle. Got to get this out of here. You're a nurse. Help me out. Do you need me to amputate it? I mean, quit carrying on. You're a man. You know, I mean, and it's this little bitty piece of a thorn, but I thought my finger was going to fall off. You know what a thorn in the flesh can do. Amen. Now, this one's not a literal thorn in the flesh. This is some kind of physical condition that Paul had that greatly limited him. And so guess what he does? He asks big. And he goes to the Lord. Considering this, I implored the Lord. He was insistent. I'm sure he was respectful. I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. In other words, Paul, I love you. And you will know my strength even more because of what you're going through. And you have my grace in full, but I'm not taking that away. You're going to have to endure it. What was Paul's response? Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, persecutions, difficulties for Christ's sake, so that when I am weak in him, I am strong. Understand that if God says no to your big ask, it is not because he doesn't care. Did he love Paul? Clearly, he just told him that. It's that he has a purpose, and you are asked to trust. That's tough, isn't it? Do we ever get our hopes up with the big ask? Come on, let's be honest in God's house. I think we should. We expect great things. But we've got to be humble enough and walk by faith, which is what this man was doing. Receive your miracle. Your faith has made you well. We walk by faith. We are humble. And we realize not every time is the big ask going to be answered the way we think it should. Can we accept God's answer? Finally, number six, however God answers you, and especially if he answers you the way you hope and dream, respond with commitment. Notice what the man does. Verse 43, immediately he regained his sight and began following him, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they too gave praise to God. What did he do? What was his response? Not just to say, thank you, Jesus, and go back to his life as usual. 
Not to say, well, this is wonderful, Lord, I can see, and then just leave and walk off. Not to give him a handshake or a hug or a thank you note and act like nothing ever changed. What did the man start doing that he had not been doing before? Following him. And by the way, following Jesus wasn't easy. It wasn't easy during his earthly ministry. You know, sometimes I think we have these delusions of grandeur. Oh, I just, I, it would have been so much easier to follow Jesus if I was here when he was here. If I could see him and hear him and, oh, I would have, I would have never missed a moment with him. I'd have gone every step with him. Well, if I could have just been here, it's hard now, but if I could have been here when Jesus was here, oh, I'd have been right there with him. Or so we think. Y'all realize that's delusional, right? Following Jesus when he was here was tough. He demanded you leave everything. Take up your cross. Deny yourself and follow. And let me tell you, he was unapologetic about it. I think sometimes for us, we have this delusional idea it would have been easier. No, it would have been much harder. But I will still say this to you. His demand is still the same. He still calls upon you now to follow him. And it won't always be easy. And he's not apologetic. He's also in no way, does, is he deceptive about it? He tells us right up front. There's no fine print with Jesus. They called me the ruler of the demons. Just imagine what they'll call you. They tried to kill me. What do you think they'll do to the members of my household? Was it tough for me? It can be tougher for you. Are we still in? Will we still follow? You say, well, Ben, why should I if it's going to be tough? Because understand this. If we follow him, he is the only one that can lead us to glory. It is not that following him is easy. It is that following him is worth it. Notice that this man responds with commitment. He responds by following Jesus. I wish I could stand before you and tell you that every time God has done something for me, it made me more committed than ever. I wish I could stand here and tell you that. But I'd be lying. There are times in my life when God has acted on my behalf and I took it for granted. There are times when I've responded in commitment and it has been a special thing to go through that with him. But there have been times I've taken it for granted. I bet I'm not the only one. If God is working in your life, please don't take that for granted. When he asks you, what do you want me to do? What action are you asking me to take for you? And lo and behold, he does it. Thank him, glorify him, and commit all over again to your relationship with him. That's what the whole thing's about. With Jesus, it will always, always be relational. So whatever he's doing or not doing in your life, there is a relational component to it. So what is your ask? If he's asking this question to you today, what do you want me to do for you? 
what will your answer be? And then lo and behold, if God should blow you away, knock your socks off, and actually do the big ask, how are you going to respond? What will you do with that? And how will you use it to change your life and the lives of those around you? Let's think about that today as we pray. Would you bow with me? Father, I thank you for this simple story in this really penetrating question because it affects every one of us. We all have our wants. We all have our desires. We all have our needs, our worries, our fears, our heartaches. And here you stand. What do you want me to do for you? Lord, there's about a million different ways this could go. But I believe at the end of the day, these six principles will always ring true. And at the end of it all, it should draw us further into relationship with you. If there is someone here today that does not have that relationship, I pray they will hear your heart and that they would turn from their sin and place their faith in you today. And for those of us that know you, may we walk with you every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Uh, The words are overhead. Our altar is open, and I invite you to respond. And I really didn't make this connection until right now. But I could not help but think as we sang that song, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Can you imagine being this man when he did that for the very first time? How awesome that would have been. 
And the truth is, when God intervenes in our lives, it's really no less awesome for us. And I pray that whatever it is you're going through and however God acts in your life, that it will help you to even more turn your eyes upon him. That just hit me when we were singing that. It just relates so deeply to, to that story. It's easy for us to take for granted, but I, I pray that we won't. That when God intervenes in our lives, when he acts for us, that it will just wow us. That we'll never lose the wonder of walking with Jesus. To me, that, that story reminds me of that. Any word before we go today? Uh, is it okay if I share Brother Mitch? Brother Mitch has a uh, cousin that he's very worried about that is in really, really difficult uh, physical shape. Um, doesn't look good from where we sit. And uh, he's got some, some things there he's trying to work through with his cousin. And, uh, and just, I know he would appreciate your prayers. Anything else? God bless you. I hope you have a, a wonderful day and a great week. Brother Les, would you dismiss us today? Thank you.